Did anybody have a chance to watch any of the NFL draft this weekend? Is anybody kind of following along with that? It's like we got the Super Bowl, so we don't care anymore, right? Is that what it, um, it was? It was actually an interesting. Um, uh, it was an interesting weekend. The Eagles didn't have many picks or whatever, but one of the really fascinating stories that came out of the draft um, was this uh, this uh, young man named Shaquem Griffin. And I don't know if any of you have heard this story, but um, he's a, a twin, and uh, his twin brother was actually drafted and played for the Seattle Seahawks last year. And then he ended up in the later rounds getting drafted this year uh, by the Seahawks as well. So those two brothers are going to go play together. It's like a feel-good story and stuff. The fascinating thing about this story is that Shaquem Griffin only has one hand. Uh, on his other arm, his arm ends like right here, and he, and he doesn't have a hand on that arm. And yet, he is a phenomenal football player. He ran the fastest time that they've ever had at the Combine for a linebacker. Uh, so he's just like a, a freak, talented athlete who has this incredible, uh, uh, despite the fact that he doesn't have a hand, has been able to play football at the highest level. And it struck me that, um, would I be up here talking about him right now if he had two hands? Probably not. You know, there was, there was almost 300 guys that got drafted this weekend. We're not going to talk about most of them. But the fact that he was able to overcome that incredible obstacle, that incredible trial, and not just endure through it, but to thrive and to excel and to have it become a powerful and inspiring part of his story, man, that gets me excited, right? Because that's, that's really what we want in our lives. We want, when we go through a trial, I don't want to just go through it and get to the other side. I don't want to just kind of barely limp along. I want to go through trials in a way that I come out stronger on the other side, that, that, that people are inspired by my story. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that what we want? But, but the reality is, is that a lot of times we just feel like we don't have the tools to do that. And so what, if, you, if you'll embrace it today in, in this letter, Peter is giving us one of those tools, one of those things that, that if you do it, will equip you to endure through trials in a way that, that will be inspiring, will change other people's lives. Um, but like I said, it's a counterintuitive one, and so it's, it's something that we really... Um, man, we really have to wrestle with to understand it and apply it to our lives. So I hope I piqued your curiosity a little bit. Um, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 11. Let me lift up a word of prayer as we, as we begin this morning. God, uh, man, we're grateful to be here. Uh, and I know you've brought many of us through some things to get us here this morning. Uh, for some, just being in this room this morning might be an act of, of courage and of, of endurance and it might be something that's incredibly worth celebrating, God. Um, for other of us, maybe we're just kind of drifting through life and we're, um, um, we're not grabbing it for all that it is. God, I pray wherever we come in this morning that you would just connect us deeply to your truth, to your word. And uh, we wouldn't just hear it and we wouldn't just understand it, uh, but it would transform our hearts. It would literally change the way that we live our lives, God. We're not satisfied with who we are. We're not satisfied um, with where we're at. We want to be close to you. We want to be used by you. We want the way that we live our lives to become something that draws people closer to you. And I pray that, that you will ingrain this into our hearts uh, today, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's begin uh, looking at, uh, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. We're coming out of this amazing passage where it talks, as Brian preached last week, about coming out of darkness and into marvelous light and, and how incredible it is that God has made us that way because of what Jesus has done. And he says in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, 
as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so in just a couple sentences here, he really sets the stage for, for what's going to come for the next few paragraphs in this letter, where he's going to put out this call, and as Dave reminded us a few weeks ago, uh, he said, hey, be holy as I am holy. Like, live lives of holiness. Run away from sin. And he's going to make this case for how we are to do that and what that looks like. But, but he begins with our identity. He says, beloved, you're beloved by God, and you are exiles and sojourners. Now, for some of these guys, they literally were exiled. They had been chased out of Jerusalem by persecution, and so they were living as exiles in foreign lands. But for all of us as Christians, one of the identities that we own is, is sojourners and exiles. Uh, to sojourn is to temporarily stay in a place that is not your home. Uh, an exile is anyone who is separated from his or her country or home voluntarily or by force of circumstances. That's the reality about you and I, that, that we are exiles in this world, that we are sojourners. We're here for a brief period of time, and then we go on to be with God in the, way, in the relationship that we're meant to have with him. And so this is just a, a temporary situation where we're at right now. And, and some of the problems in our lives erupt from the fact that we're trying to make this home, right? We want everything to be perfect. We want everything to be comfortable. I want to have heaven on earth, right? I want to have perfect joy, perfect happiness, perfect peace, perfect comfort right here and right now. And, and, and of course, as Christians, we strive for that, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in our hearts, we want the kingdom of heaven to come into our hearts. But we have to, at the same time, recognize that the world that we operate in is not submitting to the right rule and reign of God the Father. That the world is in rebellion against God, and so the more that we become aligned with his kingdom, the more that we will find ourselves at odds with the world around us. Um, and so, so he tells us, while we're exiles and sojourners, that we should abstain from the passions of the flesh. Um, and, and, and it just makes sense, right? Like if you, uh, next weekend, if you were going to go somewhere and you were going to rent a hotel room, and let's say you go in the hotel room and you sit down on the couch and you're like, oh man, this isn't, because uh, you're getting a suite, right? You know, you want one with a couch and everything. But sit down and you're like, man, this couch is, uh, it's, it's kind of lumpy. It's not that, you know what? I think I'm going to buy another couch and I'm going I'm to have it delivered and I'm going to have it put in my room here and, and just to make it more comfortable, right? That wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> if, you're, if you're staying in a hotel for two nights, you wouldn't go buy a couch to make it more comfortable, right? You would just endure with it as, as comfortable or uncomfortable as it was, and you'd move on. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. He says when you indulge the passions of your flesh, you're essentially saying, hey, I'm here in this temporary situation. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a sojourner in exile, but I want to try and make it super comfortable. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to indulge my passions. I'm going to indulge whatever my heart wants. I'm just going to go for it because, uh, because I'm just trying to make myself comfortable here. It doesn't make sense. And in fact, he says, not only does it not make sense, it wages war against our soul. And if you've ever been battling against sinful desire, if you've ever had a battle against a sin that you couldn't put away, against something that was just coming after, you know that this is a war that goes on in your soul, is it not? You know what you're supposed to do, you know what you need to do, and yet you find yourself incapable of doing it, and you just feel defeated. You feel crushed. You try and pray, and, and the enemy says, oh, God's not going to listen to you. He knows what you're doing, right? You, you feel conflicted. 
you feel like you're unworthy of God's blessing. It's a war that goes on between the passions of our flesh and, and our soul. And so Peter rightly just says, hey, why would you want to do that to yourself? Why do you want to enter into conflict? Why do you want to cut the knees out from your joy and, and your victory? Why would you enter into something that's a, a spiritual war? Well, part of the problem is that, you know, a passion, what is a passion? It's a deeply rooted desire in our heart. And what would our culture, what would society, what would the billboards and the TV shows, and everything, what would they tell you to do with the deeply rooted desires of your heart? Pull them out and go after them, right? <laughs> Follow your dreams. Look into your heart. Find out what you want most and go for it. That's your North Star. You can't go wrong if you're being true to yourself, right? It all sounds good on paper. But the reality is that, that our hearts are deceptive. <laughs> that our hearts have strong desires, but those desires are not always rightly aligned. Sometimes we deeply want something that is terribly bad for us. And we need to have the wisdom and the courage to say, hey, this is my deepest heart desire, and my heart is broken. <laughs> my deepest heart desire is not good for me. I need to reject that. And you're not going to find much support in the world to tell you that. The world is going to say, wait, how could you deny your desire? But Peter calls us to something higher than that. Until we see sin through God's eyes, it's very hard to let it go. It becomes this balancing scale as well. Hey, I know I should do this, and I know this is what Jesus wants, but I also know that this feels good, this tastes good, this looks good. So I, which way am I going to go? I don't know which way I'm going to go. You know, maybe today I'll go this way, maybe tomorrow I'll go that way. Until we see that this is waging war in our souls, until we see that this is hindering and hampering our true relationship with God, until we see that what God offers is so much better than this, we're just going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck in that war. And so I pray for you this morning, if, if that's where you're at, if you're, if you're stuck in one of those things, my prayer for you is that he would allow you to see your sin the way that he sees it. That you would see how destructive it is, how harmful it is to other people around you, how truly undesirable it is. It's kind of like, you know, when, uh, when a kid gets caught smoking cigarettes and so the parent says, hey, I'm, I'm going to make you smoke an entire pack of cigarettes and you'll learn to never smoke again, right? And, and you do it and do it and then you throw This never happened to me, right? But I've, I've heard the stories. <laughs> I got my daughter sent up here. Um, I'm not encouraging you to indulge your sins. I, I'm just encouraging you that if you could see it the way that God sees it, you would recognize that it would make you sick to your stomach and you would flee from it because it's, it's of no value. Beyond that, he says one other powerful thing here. He says that we need to conduct our honor, keep our conduct honorable for the sake of the non-believers around us. He says living honorably, living in the way that God wants us to live is a very unselfish thing. In essence, it says, I'm going, to, I'm going to forego my natural desires in a desire to honor God because I know that it's going to be a good witness to the people around me and that they might see and ultimately praise and desire a relationship with God because of what they see in me. If you're just mired in sin the same as everybody else around you, then you're not salt. You're not light. <laughs> you're missing an opportunity to draw people to God. And so Peter says, hey, if you're not going to do it for yourself— do it for others. Do it for the sake of the witness that you have with the people around you. And so I'd ask you this morning, what, what is it that's hindering your witness? 
What is it in your life that if people see that, they're like, I thought you were a Christian. Something doesn't seem to add up. Or they say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. I knew it, just like all the rest of them. I don't, I don't, I don't really see anything desirable there. I don't see anything in your life that looks any better than what's in my life. If that's the case, for the honor of God, for the benefit of your neighbors, ask Jesus to begin to change your heart. Now, the specific practical application that Peter pulls out here is really fascinating. He's talking about the passions of our flesh, right? And so we're thinking he's going to go into a long discourse on the dangers of lust. Or we think that, that he's going to talk about greed. Or he's going to talk about anger, right? That's what you would expect him to go into. But look what he talks about. This is really fascinating. Verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What he talks about is not lust, it's not anger, it's not greed, it's not pride. It's our rebel hearts. All of us have this, this innate sinful desire within us to throw off any sort of authority that, that, that resides over us, right? We, we desire to rebel against the powers that be, right? Fight the power, right? You know, like We, 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 we don't want anyone over us. We want to lash out against anyone that would, that would seek to oppress us. And most of us, here's the reason why that sin is so powerful. Most of us would not list that as one of our, our primary sins, right? How many of us would say, man, I'm just, I'm just rebellious. I don't want to sit under anyone's authority. I don't want to listen to my boss. I don't want to listen to my parents. I don't want to listen to the president. I don't want to listen to uh, anybody that tries to tell me what to do. I want to be my own boss. Most of us would like think that that's a celebratory kind of thing. Like, hey, yeah, that's American, right? Like, way to go, buddy. Me too. But what the Bible tells us is this is a dangerous, embedded sin that lives in our hearts. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Think about Adam and Eve. Their problem wasn't lust. Their problem wasn't anger. What was their problem? God said, don't do this. And he said, uh, I kind of want to do that. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's rebellion. God reinforces this when he gives the Ten Commandments. He gives the commandments and he says, hey, don't, don't worship false idols. Don't, don't kill. Don't steal. And he says, honor your father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor our father and mother. Now, now most of us know that there are some fathers and some mothers out there that are not, frankly, worthy of honor, right? There's fathers and mothers that have done some really wretched, deplorable things, and that is based on their human record, you wouldn't look at them and say, that person is worthy of honor. And yet, the Ten Commandments say, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother as long as they are worthy of honor. <laughs> Sometimes I wish it said that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm glad it doesn't say that because I'm a father, right? And so I know that there's times when I'm not worthy of honor. But we've had this discussion with, with our kids of positional authority, that, that my kids need to respect Trina and I, not because we're better than them, not because we're more holy or righteous or pure, because God has placed us in a position of authority over them. And so there's going to be times, even, I've told you this, haven't I, Emma? There's going to be times when you're right and we're wrong, 
but you still need to respect our authority. You can't disagree with us in a disrespectful way. So there's, there's something, it's really mysterious and it's kind of crazy, um, but honoring earthly systems of authority actually honors God. To honor an earthly system of authority is actually a way to honor God. Because guess what? Every earthly system of authority is broken. Everyone is flawed. Every person that you have to show honor and respect to on earth is a sinful, broken human being who in some way is not worthy of that honor. And yet, God calls us to do that. Here's what I like about this. This is not natural to me, right? So, so, so as I'm reading this and I'm studying this a week, I'm like, man, maybe I've been missing something. Maybe there's, some, maybe there's a piece of following Jesus and getting closer to him that relates to this that I've been missing out on in my life. And maybe you're the same way. I mean, I listened to a lot of Rage Against the Machine growing up. So I was like, you know, I was fired up against the system, right? Think about Jesus when he stood before Pilate. Pilate said, don't you understand? I have the power to set you free or I have the power to crucify you. And Jesus says, you wouldn't have any power unless it was given to you by my father, right? Jesus understood that the ruling authorities, even as imperfect and broken and sinful as they are, if they have a position of power, it's been given to them by God. He says that we're free, but we need to use that freedom to serve God. Here's the reality. The only freedom that we really have in life is the freedom to choose what master we'll serve. You might say, oh, no, I'm totally free. I just do whatever I want. Well, that just means that you chose yourself as your master. You chose your heart's desires as your master. And the bad news is, is that the creator of the universe, our Father God who loves us deeply, he's a far better master than our broken and wayward hearts. <laughs> and so when you, in your freedom, choose to follow your heart, you're just making a bad choice with your freedom. The best choice that you can make with your freedom is say, I choose to willingly submit to God the Father because I know that what he wants for me is best for me and his love for me will protect me and guard me. Now you might say, hey, listen, I, I, I realize Peter said that back then, but man, Peter did not know the, the political climate that was going to exist in 2018, right? He did not know how broken our, our government and our political system and how unworthy of honor all of our leaders would be. And historically, I would argue that, that you're wrong. <laughs> the Emperor Nero, who was in power at this time, was a bad guy. They were rounding up Christians. They were feeding them to lions. They were burning them at the stake. They were dragging them out of their homes and putting them in prisons. And it's in that context that Peter says, hey, you need to honor the emperor. You need to obey the ruling authorities. Now, if they command you to do something, like deny Christ and worship the emperor, your first allegiance is to God, so you don't obey them in that. But you don't dishonor them. You don't disrespect them. Man, that's a, it's, it's a challenging, it's a challenging word. But it comes out of this realization that, that we are sojourners and exiles in this world, that we were dead in our sins and Christ has made us alive. And so we say, hey, that's not fair. I deserve better than that. Well, the biblical reality is that what we deserve is to die on the cross that Jesus died on. So he's already given us far greater than what we deserve. None of us wants to go back to what we deserve. That's not a good place. I throw that down on, on my kids every once in a while. I'll be like, hey, you don't want fair. <laughs> fair is not, you're, you're on the good side of fair, okay? So, so if you want to reshuffle the deck and make everything fair, I don't think you would like how that came out. 
let me just ask you, does this feel kind of impossible to you? <laughs> does it feel hard? Like, man, that, man, that sounds, that sounds hard. I mean, I, I hear what he's saying. I kind of follow, but man, that's just, ah. I, I don't know that that's possible in my situation. Let's go on and look at, at how Peter destroys that argument for us, right? In verse 18, here's what it says. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Essentially what Peter says is this. He's like, hey, there's some people in tough situations in this room, right? There's some people that are going through some difficult things. There's some people that are, that are going through some real challenges, some trials, some difficulties. But Peter says... Even if you're in servanthood, even if you are a slave and you're a slave to an unjust master, that does not excuse you from doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Right? He just, he just blows up our argument of like, oh, yeah, I'd like to obey God. I'd like to, I'd like to be honoring to the, but, but you don't understand my situation. Peter says, hey, even in the worst possible situation, there's nothing in this world that puts you in a position where you cannot honor God with your life, where you cannot honor God with your actions, where you cannot choose to do the right thing. In the deepest, darkest pit of oppression and despair, you can still make the choice to honor God. It makes the things that I worry about, it makes, it makes my rationalizations feel really weak and flimsy, right? Now, here's the reality. Um, uh, slavery... It is wrong. It's, it's inherently wrong. The Bible makes that abundantly clear that, that all people, men, women, of every race, of every creed, of every color, are made in the image of God of equal worth and value before the Lord. And it is a broken and, and, and sinful system that would enslave one human being to another. And in fact, it was, it was Christian theology, it was Christian ethics, it was Christian drive that abolished the African slave trade, both in England and here in America. And so it was people reading their Bible and saying, hey, we need to pursue justice. We need to do what God says is right. That's what drove the abolition of slavery, right? And so in no way is this condoning the system just because it doesn't say tear it down, right? God will tear it down in his right time, and he wants us as his people to pursue justice and pursue what is right. But he says the way is not armed rebellion. Right? He doesn't say take up arms and, 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 and destroy it and tear it down. In fact, Dr. King, when he entered uh, into the civil rights movement, really we had, we had slavery here in America, and then after the Civil War that ended, but a new system of oppression took its place. And it was more subtle, and it was harder to fight, but, 
But Dr. King is so admired and revered and respected because what he did is he lived out exactly what Peter's saying here. He said, I'm going to honor the, the, the government that's in place. I disagree with the injustice. I'm going to call it out. I'm going to speak against it. But I'm not going to fight violently against it. I'm not going to say that two wrongs make a right. I'm not going to look at that wrong and say the only way to right that wrong is to engage in violence and hatred myself. And so he went on a mission of love. He drew attention to it. He showed people, he exposed to the light the brokenness of our condition and helped to turn the tide of the, the, uh, the emotions and the opinions of the people in this country. And that's why he's revered, because he did it Jesus' way, right? Now, this still exists in our day and age, and I think that there's a call for us as Christians to be aware of the injustice that continues to exist. That God, is, God wants us to look at our brothers and sisters, and if, if their experience is not one of total justice and freedom in the same way that we experience it, then we need to fight for that. That's a biblical concept, right? But fight doesn't mean take up arms. It doesn't mean to speak dishonorably and disrespectfully. It's to, it's to pursue a better way in the way of Jesus, to follow in his footsteps. I think that's something as Christians that, uh, that, that we've kind of, um, we've missed the boat on. But I'm super encouraged that in the past, since the turn of the year, man, almost every major um, pastor, preacher, teacher that I listen to has spoke openly about our need for this. And so I think God is turning the tide in our church to recognize that there is still a lot of work to do on racial reconciliation and making things right in this country. But I can guarantee you that the way forward is going to be through what Peter's describing here. It's a path of honor. Honor those that are in position above us speak against injustice, shine the light, and don't allow existing sins and, and injustices to bring us into sin. Because two wrongs don't make a right, right? We lose the moral high ground when we do that. How do we find hope and purpose in an unjust situation? When things are just really broken, how, how do we do it? Well, he, he gives us the description here, and here's what he says. He says that we're to call to follow the example of Jesus. He says, endure. Don't give up. Don't check out. Don't, don't just kind of go through life like, oh, I, just, I don't care anymore, right? No, it says, endure, mindful of God. It says, if you do this, this is a gracious thing. If you can endure through suffering and say, hey, this suffering is wrong. It's not right. It makes me angry, but instead of lashing out in anger, I'm going to choose to entrust this to the God who judges justly. And I'm going to believe that he is going to make things right. And I'm not going to stoop into a sinful behavior to try and win my own victory. It says, don't allow sin to be the cause of your suffering. If you, if you sin and you're beaten for it, what, what credit is there in that? But if you suffer unjustly, there's great credit, and God sees that. And he honors that. And so it goes back to abstaining from the passions of the flesh. If we're going to engage in sin, then we deserve what comes upon us. So we have to flee from sin. He says something amazing here. He says, to this you have been called, to follow in the example of Christ. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is your calling. Your calling is to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And, and this is kind of amazing, right? Because when we think about Jesus... We think about a lot of great things, but one of the things that we don't often think about is his willing submission. 
You say, yeah, I'm trying to live like Jesus. I'm trying to love, and I'm trying to speak the truth, and I'm trying to, to pursue a relationship with God. But how many of us say, hey, I'm, I'm following Jesus, and that means that I'm willingly entering uh, into a submission, into submission, into, into a submissive posture? I was talking to uh, my, my littlest daughter, Evelyn, last night, and she said, hey, hey Dad, she's like, uh, you have to listen to what God and Jesus say. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. She understood, right? I'm under authority. I'm a parent. I'm an authority over her, but she understood that I have an authority that I answer to. And then she was kind of thinking about it, and she's like, and Jesus has to listen to God because he's his father. And I was like, well, you know, I had to get real theological with her as her pastor or father, right? And I'm like, well, you know, there's three persons in the Trinity. They're all equal. But yes, Jesus willingly chooses to submit to the Father out of love and honor. And Jesus willingly chose to come and submit himself to his creation. And he washed the feet of his disciples. And he willingly chose to go and to sit through a sham of a trial and be convicted and be beaten and be put on a cross when in an instant he could have brought it to an end. But he willingly chose to do that. And I was just driven by the fact that if I'm claiming to be a follower of Jesus, if I'm claiming to, to do what Jesus did, where is that in my life? <laughs> is that on display in my life? Is that, is that part of who I am? Do I willingly submit to authority? Do I willingly lay down my rights and my pride and my righteous anger and follow the path that Jesus follows? Paul Miller calls this the J-curve, right? When something goes wrong, when you suffer an injustice, when you suffer a mini-death in your life, rather than fighting for justice in your own strength, in your own power, and rather than lashing out, you accept what God has allowed into your life, and you go down to a place where that thing in your heart dies, and then you're in a position to experience the resurrection that can only come when, when Jesus intervenes on your behalf. If we're fighting for our own justice and our own strength and our own power, then we never get to a position where we get to experience the miracle of resurrection that happens when Jesus brings the new life, when Jesus brings us back. And he always does. Death is always followed by resurrection. But do we have the patience to wait for it, to trust that God will do it in his time and his season? Look at what Jesus does. He doesn't sin. He doesn't lie. He doesn't deceive. He doesn't revile. When he suffers, he doesn't threaten. He simply entrusts himself to him who judges justly. And he did it unselfishly for our benefit. You might say, man, I, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> Sounds good. Actually, it doesn't sound that good. But <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can... Uh, uh, I don't think I can lay aside my pride. I, don't, I, I can't lay aside, willingly lay aside my desire to pursue my own justice. Well, I'd encourage you, if that's how you feel, you're right. You can't do it. If you're going to walk out of here today and just try in your own strength to be a better person by, by sheer force of will, you're never going to do it. It is only through Jesus living in and through you that you can be empowered to live in this way. But my encouragement to you is this, that he can empower you to do this. It says in this passage, it says, he bore our sins, and you would expect it to say, for our forgiveness. He bore our sins on the cross for our salvation. But what does it say? It says, he bore our sins so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. Jesus went to the cross, and he bore our sins on the cross so that we could be saved, and so we could be given, and so we could be redeemed, but also 
so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. Are you living in that truth of the gospel? Are you willing to let that that pride and that self-righteousness die so that you can live in the righteousness that Jesus is giving to you? It says, by his wounds you are healed because he took the wounds that you deserved. Your soul has been healed. You can live in the freedom. You don't have to exact your justice and your retribution in this lifetime because Jesus has done it for you. And every sin that's committed, every sin that's committed against you, every sin that's committed in this life will be accounted for. For those that follow Jesus, it's paid for on the cross. For those who do not receive the forgiveness and the, and the salvation that Jesus offers, they will account for that sin as they stand before God in judgment. But God doesn't miss anything. Do you have the patience to allow the righteous judge of the universe to judge in your place? I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to invite those that are serving the Lord's Supper to come into place. I want to, I want to conclude with this thought that um, the, my stand just rebelled on me here. <laughs> this sort of thing is, it, it, it's like our Christian superpower, right? This makes us invincible. Peter says, hey, listen, whatever is happening in your life, the worst thing that you could imagine a human being to go through, even that does not put you in a position where you are incapable of obeying God, of loving him, of honoring him, of serving him. In your freedom, if you will choose to do that, there is nothing in the world that can strip that away from you. And that's powerful. There's not many things that are invincible in this life. But our obedience and love for Jesus can be if we choose to live in that reality.